You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, October 9th. I'm Charlotte Peterson, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank A to Z Hardware Supply and Garden Center, locally owned since 1984, offering household construction essentials plus April's Garden, a memorial lawn and garden nursery for all seasons with beekeeping and canning supplies. Ridge Road, Grass Valley, A to C Supply.com. Atmosphere Design Build, a full-service architecture and construction firm creating distinctively modern, high-performance buildings throughout California, specializing in energy-efficient, healthy, net-zero energy homes for a low-carbon future. AtmosphereDesignBuild.com And William Stationery, a family-owned, full-service office supply store and delivery service, also retailing janitorial supplies and office furniture. Located at 112 West Main Street, downtown Grass Valley, since 1949. WilliamsAllValue.com Following NPR headlines and regional weather, Paul Emery speaks with Matthew Ozapowski, spokesperson for Save Nevada County Trees. Rick Ewald speaks with Paul Emery about Measure M. We have today's national native news. Closing out today's newscast, we have Jim Hightower with a commentary. At 6.30, we bring you Disability Wrap, and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines and regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. President Donald Trump attacked Dr. Anthony Fauci's credibility on the coronavirus as the president continues to clash with his own administration health officials. NPR's Isha Roscoe reports Trump has resisted calls from experts to embrace more mask wearing and social distancing at the events. President Trump says he wants Anthony Fauci to, quote, make better decisions. Fauci is the nation's leading infectious disease expert. Trump criticized Fauci for not advising people to wear a mask earlier on in the pandemic. He also blasted Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden for saying he would rely on health officials like Fauci. Biden wants to lock it down. He wants to listen to Dr. Fauci. He wants to listen to Dr. Fauci. Biden has said he would follow the guidance of experts on whether to recommend any further lockdowns. Aisha Roscoe, NPR News. Meanwhile, Democratic presidential hopeful Joe Biden accused President Trump's dismissal of science and his own coronavirus experts as his closing argument as the election looms. Trump has called Fauci disaster and labeled some of his own infectious disease scientists idiots, Trump blaming them for what he argued was the nation's mismanagement of the coronavirus pandemic. Biden noted, however, the pandemic has now claimed more than 220,000 American lives. The campaign noting Trump's closing argument in the 2020 election campaign is to mock Joe Biden for trusting science. A judge in Wisconsin has ruled that bars, restaurants and other indoor places need to operate at 25 percent capacity because of a surge in coronavirus cases there. As Marty Michelson reports from member station WUWM in Milwaukee, the decision upholds an order from Governor Tony Evers earlier this month. Attorneys for the Wisconsin Tavern League sued to overturn the directive. They argued in a virtual court hearing that many businesses have gone under because of the pandemic and feared the order would lead to more closures. Attorneys for the state said the edict is necessary in light of record-breaking numbers of cases and hospitalizations. 
New cases in Wisconsin have been averaging 3,000 per day, then topped an all-time high of 4,000 on one day last week. The judge ruled that the Tavern League couldn't prove that the order would cause more businesses to fold. Attorneys for the Tavern League say they'll appeal. For NPR News, I'm Marty Michelson in Milwaukee. Boeing's long-grounded 737 MAX jet could soon be flying again, at least over the East Coast. All MAX jets have been grounded since early 2019 after a pair of deadly crashes. But American Airlines says it plans to begin operating one MAX flight a day between December 29th and January 4th, flying between Miami and New York. American says it's considering how much to use the plane after that. The FAA is still reviewing some of Boeing's changes to the plane. On Wall Street, the Dow was down 410 points. This is NPR. France will hold a national ceremony for a history teacher slain by an Islamist radical who disliked the way he taught a class on freedom of speech. NPR's owner Beardsley reports the French prime minister has called the teacher's killing an act of barbary against the French Republic. History teacher Samuel Paty showed students cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad published by satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo to illustrate his course on freedom of expression. But one parent complained and posted a video denouncing the teacher and asking that he be fired. The French interior minister says that video and other more violent social media messages that followed were in essence a fatwa against the teacher. They prompted a violent young Chechen refugee to track him down and behead him for insulting the prophet Muhammad. The brutal murder has sparked outrage across France. Fifteen people have been arrested, including four middle school students, as part of the investigation. The national ceremony for Paty will be held Wednesday at the Sorbonne University. Eleanor Beardsley, NPR News, Paris. Sudan will now be taken off the list of U.S.-sponsored, state-sponsored terrorism states, clearing the way for the African country to get international loans and aid necessary to revive its battered economy. The decision announced today would be dependent on Sudan's following through on an agreement to pay $335 million to U.S. terror victims and their families. The announcement came today after U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin was in Bahrain, cementing the Gulf state's recognition of Israel. Oil closed lower today, down five cents a barrel to end the session at 4083 a barrel in New York. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. Now for regional weather. According to the National Weather Service, in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, tonight will be mostly clear with a low around 56. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 82 and mostly clear skies overnight with a low around 55. Tonight in Sacramento, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 54. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 87 and a low around 56 with mostly clear skies overnight. In Truckee tonight, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 31. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 73 and mostly clear skies overnight with a low around 33. And in Angels Camp tonight, skies will be mostly clear with a low around 57. Tuesday will be sunny with a high near 84 and overnight lows around 59 with mostly clear skies. The National Weather Service has issued a red flag warning in effect from late tonight to early Wednesday due to gusty winds and extremely dry conditions in much of Northern California. I'm speaking with Matthew Ozapolsky, and we're talking about trees in Nevada City, and it's an ongoing story here. But uh, 
Matt, uh, what updates do you have for us? And this involves PG&E taking down trees on private property many of the times, not all the time, uh, for fire prevention. And it's been um, going on now for a couple, three weeks. So what's up? What's the newest information? Uh, well, I mean, it's been going on for a couple, couple months now, my involvement in this. Um, they had originally marked 263 trees for renewal at the end of a couple months of negotiations. They're still planning on taking down exactly 263 trees or possibly a few more. So um, despite our best efforts, there haven't been any any real points of progress in our negotiations with PG&E. Um, they are standing firm on, on every tree that they originally marked for removal. Um, our focus right now is in the Pioneer Cemetery between West Broad and Orchard Street. Um, some allies of ours have built a platform in one of the big pines there, which has people in it around the clock right now. And it's a, it's a tense waiting time primarily right now. There's going to be a major police action against us happening at some point within the next week, most likely. So it's uh, a moment of calm before some, some really heavy times, most likely. I understand they're going to have to bring in a crane to actually get up there to where people have set up a platform. Is that correct? I don't know their exact strategy, but I know that's one of the things that they were discussing. Matt, uh, today uh, there was uh, the possibility of some trees being removed on Orchard Street. We talked this morning. Um, what is the latest on that? As far as I know, and I'm actually just a few blocks away heading in that direction, but Orchard Street didn't get – the properties that were contested on Orchard Street didn't get hit today. Uh, what we're talking about there are two properties specifically, um, one in which two trees have been marked for removal and – the owner actually paid to get them professionally trimmed so they're shorter than the lines in addition to being healthy trees. So she's hoping to retain those trees based on the fact that they're no longer even tall enough to touch the lines. Um, another property stands to lose every single tree in his front yard. He has uh, seven trees in his front yard that are going to be removed. Um, he's advocating for one of those trees, and we're going to support him in whatever way we can to save that one tree. Um, but that is imminent, but didn't seem to happen today. And uh, pg and &E crews have been working um, farther up West Broad today on city trees, mostly big pines that we hate to see go, but we it's private property, so these aren't ones that we've specifically been contesting. Um, what is the situation with the Blue Atlas uh, tree on Broad Street. Um, tell us about that, where it stands right now. And describe the tree it's, to our listeners that may not know where it is. Yeah, I mean, it's a heartbreaking situation right now. The tree itself was planted by uh, Felix Gillet about 140 years ago. He was a internationally famous horticulturalist and is actually buried in the Pioneer Cemetery where, where some of our other work is taking place. It's a gorgeous tree, branches out in all sorts of directions, um, huge trunk, an older tree, um, and PG&E had originally planned to remove it for some, you know, bureaucratic reasons as much as anything, proximity to the lines, even though it was leaning the opposite direction from the lines. Um, 
So we've been advocating all along to have it examined by uh, a city arborist, Zeno Acton, who's on a city contract, and he looked at it once and thought that it was viable to retain, and then after a couple months of back and forth, uh, he was called in again to give it a, a deeper inspection, and um, tragically, what, what they discovered is that, or what Zeno discovered is that after two and a half hours of, of doing tests on it, he thinks that it has heart rot to an extent where it's not viable. So... I think we did everything absolutely right. We pushed for, you know, good local people to do this analysis. We advocated for PG&E not to be able to remove a tree this precious simply on the basis of, you know, the minutia of their regulations, but rather on, you know, the health of the tree as as ascertained by people that we in the community trust. But having gone through that whole process, um, my decision and the decision of, of most of the leadership of our unaffiliated organization is that the tree genuinely probably doesn't need to be removed for safety reasons. Um, and that's been a really hard piece of news for a lot of our supporters to, to bear and um, continues to be a point of controversy, controversy within within our group. But my personal stance is that you know, given that exactly the person that we asked to have inspected did do that inspection and feels that it's likely to fall down within the next year, I think I think we're morally, morally obligated to stand aside at this point and allow that removal, even though it, it breaks my heart. It's my son's favorite tree in the world, and I certainly don't want to see it go. But I also feel like, you know, we have to follow the science, whether it gives us the news that we want or whether it gives us the news that we don't want. And I'm proud of the work that we did to make sure that science was done and to make sure that it was done right. Uh, when is this likely to happen? If I had to guess, I would say early next week. I think most of the controversial cuts are going to happen in in tandem with a major police action early next week. But um, I don't have access to the full details of their plans. On Wednesday, we're planning on holding a a gathering for the tree, sort of a, a goodbye, mem- goodbye memorial or sending off ceremony or whatever words you choose to use, but a, a gathering for the tree to send it, send, it, send it on its way. And we're also talking actively about what to do with that wood. There's some artists in town who are interested in making making something. I don't know. We haven't settled on any details there, but we're we're planning on doing something worthwhile with the wood. And it actually had a little sapling growing at the base of it, and that's been taken by somebody and will be replanted and, and nourished somewhere. So we're doing our best to honor the tree and, and honor the emotional process of the people who have actually been you know, intimately involved with the tree over these past few months are going through. It's In some ways it's easier for me because my role has primarily been an organizer and a spokesperson from you know at home on my laptop, although I've been on site frequently, but there's people who have actually been sitting in that tree or at the base of that tree day after day after day, week after week. Um, and for some of them, it's it's really understandably difficult to let go and to accept this news and, and walk away. And the tree, you know, to a lot of people, feeling, feeling the presence of the tree, it feels healthy and strong to them. And so it's a process, and we're, we're working on figuring out how to let go. Yes, very difficult. Uh, the every time I go by there, I see people up in the tree, having you know, just kind of like embracing the tree. Must be very hard on them. 
It is. You know, there's been people who have been playing music at the base of it. There's been people who have been painting it. There's been people who have been sitting in it. There's people who have taken their children up in it. Um, so it's not it's not an easy thing to to walk away from. And it's you know it's easy to say you have to follow the science, and I think ultimately we do. But I also am very sympathetic to the people who are struggling with that process in various ways. Well, Matt, uh, thank you so much for the update, and that pretty much brings us up to today. And uh, feel free to contact us at any time uh, because we want to continue to cover this story. Now, how can people uh, keep uh, in contact with your organization? Uh, What's the best way they can do that? Well, there's two basic ways. Um, There's a website called saveNCTrees.org which is an excellent place for, you know, gathering the overall information that we've put together over the course of these past months. It's a good resource for other communities that are dealing with similar conflicts with PG&E and for people who want to catch up on the history. And then we also have a uh, Facebook page called Saving Nevada City Trees, um, which is the best place to tune into for current breaking events. Matt, thank you so much for speaking with KVMR and uh, keeping us in the loop. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Paul. I've been speaking with Matthew Ozopolsky. He's with SaveNevadaCountyTrees.org about the situation in Nevada City where PG&E is cutting down many trees that people consider to be historic. I'm speaking with Rick Ewald, former candidate for city council in Nevada City. And, Rick, you've taken up uh, an interest in educating people about Measure M, which is going to be on the ballot in, geez, one day over two weeks from from right now. Um, uh, Welcome to KVMR, Rick. Hey, thanks for having me, Paul. I appreciate the time. Yeah. Now, this is a ballot question, and this is a a, a measure that actually involves a, an increase in taxes, and we'll we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, let's start with kind of the history, and this ballot measure is going to be essentially reestablishing one that is just uh, you know is, is timed out as of right now, and it has to do yeah. with supporting uh, infrastructure for Nevada City. Uh, tell our listeners about it. Well, I'd like to start out um, by correcting. This is not a new tax. This is a continuation of Measure S, which has a sunset clause, so it is going to retire. Measure S was a half-cent tax, sales tax, passed in 2007, and it was to be used only for streets and sidewalks. Measure M is replacing Measure S. It is no increase in tax. It's a continuation of something that's been working very well. It is funded mostly by uh, the tourist industry, people that come from out of town to use our town and infrastructure, and this half-cent uh, tax, a sales tax, helps pay for that. Uh, that it now Measure M increases the use of the money for not only sidewalks and streets, but also uh, water pipes, um, Sewer pipes and drainage infrastructure, and some of the some of this infrastructure in Nevada City is is 100 to 130 years old. Um, Measure S has been bringing in about 550 thousand dollars a year. With the continuation of Measure M, uh, we can go out and get matching grant money 
and this money is sorely needed by this small town. In the voter information guide that was mailed out, there is the exact verbiage of the measure and explanations about it. Um, There is no opposition that has been published to this to this measure. Um, it does require a two-thirds majority, but again, it is a continuation of something that's been in place since 2007. It doesn't change a tax in any way. It doesn't increase anything. It's just a continuation of what's been working very fine for this city. And And frankly, if this measure were to not gain the two-thirds majority, then this small town would have very difficult time uh, replacing aging infrastructure and uh, renewing and, and maintaining the stuff that has already been replaced. Very actually, important. Actually, you took the next question right out of my mouth. The question was, <laughs> what happens if it doesn't pass? Talk about that just a little bit more. Well, take, for example, all the work that's been done. I live on Grove Street, but across the creek here is Boulder Street. That sidewalk has been redone. It was sorely needed. There are other areas up uh, Nevada Street. I'm talking about my side of town, but up Nevada Street that don't have sidewalks and people are out, you know, walking dogs. So there's maintenance of what has already, the city has already spent a lot of money on because those sidewalks are going to need to be maintained new sidewalks in areas that don't have it that could be dangerous. But Measure M increases the use of this money so that we can now also address the sewer pipes, the water pipes um, that are in in the downtown area that are failing. And um, some of them have already been replaced. A lot of work was done on Commercial Street. And we need to um, stay up on the maintenance of of the things that we've already done or we're going to be in the same boat losing those as we are with the aging infrastructure. So, Rick, this is a continuation of a tax that currently exists, and it is it is basically a, a, a it applies to sales tax. I'm correct on that, I think. Yes, you are correct on that. It is a, it is a sales tax, and it's a continuation of a half-cent increase that was passed in 2007. So, so passage of Measure M at this time would change nothing, uh, proceed to be changing nothing. Now, you, of course, you need to be a, a resident of Nevada City, and uh, some people don't really seem to realize that. I had a lot of people you know, that voted, that thought they were going to be able to vote for the city council, but found out even though they live close to town, they don't really live in town. How can people find out if they're really in Nevada City? Uh, to be in Nevada City proper, you would have a three-digit address, such as 111 Park Street, just to throw out an example. I don't know if there is a 111 Park Street, but a three-digit address puts you inside the city limits of Nevada City. However, it's very point that the four-digit and five-digit addresses, this will not be on their ballot. However... Those all of these people um, use Nevada, downtown Nevada City, and I'll I'll revert back to the fact that we are a tourist town destination. We have a lot of people coming from all over, and they're using our infrastructure, and they are 
purchasing food, restaurants, the, the sales tax that they bring to this town is what funds Measure M. Here we go. Uh, Rick, how can people find out more about Measure M? People can read the full text of the measure on the county website, and that uh, website address is mynevadacounty.com backslash elections. Well, Rick, uh, thank you so much for speaking with KVMR and helping us to educate us um, on this ballot measure. A lot of times these little things on the ballots that don't get much publicity really can affect our lives uh, quite a lot. Well, I very much appreciate the time, Paul. Thanks a lot. You bet. Take care. This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrick in for Antonia Gonzalez. There was another incident over the weekend in the dispute over lobster fishing on Canada's east coast between indigenous and non-indigenous fishermen. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, a southwest Nova Scotia lobster plant was destroyed by fire, and one man is in the hospital with critical injuries. The dispute so far has seen property destroyed, confrontations, injuries, and calls for more police protection, even military intervention. The latest incident came over the weekend as a lobster pound was leveled by fire. The chief of the Sepikadakity First Nation, Mike Sachs, says the pound was owned by a friend and ally to the Mi'kmaq. Community members are, are working with the, the people that own those pounds, and um, the industry doesn't like that, so they're forcing anyone that's dealing with us out of the industry. It's the last thing we want is for anyone to be hurt, for everyone to be safe. We're not here to fight. Sachs says if there had been more police on duty near the site, the fire likely would not have taken place. This dispute has been escalating over the past couple of weeks after native lobster fishermen took to the waters out of season, claiming it is their treaty right to fish wherever and whenever they want, a right that was upheld by the Supreme Court of Canada 20 years ago, so they can earn a modest living. Meanwhile, a spokesperson for commercial fishermen who are angry over the Mi'kmaq fishing out of season are also appealing for calm. She says if the federal government was doing its job, this would not be happening. Nova Scotia's Premier Stephen McNeil is calling on Ottawa to define how much lobster the Mi'kmaq can harvest to determine what is a moderate livelihood. He says that has to happen before the province can look at its own regulations. He says his government is working with Ottawa to try to bring all sides together for a respectful dialogue. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. Donald Trump Jr. was in Arizona late last week to launch the Native Americans for Trump coalition. The Arizona Daily Sun reports Trump Jr. joined Navajo Nation Vice President Myron Leiser and several local candidates at a rally in Williams. There were about 400 people from northern Arizona and several tribal nations at the event. President Trump will hold a rally in Prescott on Monday. Trump Jr. argued the Trump administration has been a better ally to tribes than Democrats and used coronavirus aid as an example. The Navajo Nation, which was hit hard by the pandemic, did get more than $700 million through the CARES Act, but had to sue the administration before it and other tribes received funds. Leiser said at the rally that he believes if Trump is reelected, he will help the Navajo Nation improve its economy and health care. A new 50-megawatt solar field broke ground recently on the Hickoria Apache Nation in northern New Mexico. It's the third largest solar project on tribal lands in the United States and will produce power for Albuquerque and other large users. Hickoria Apache Nation President Edward Velarde said the project is part of an ongoing effort by the Hickoria to control its own energy. Smart Cities Dive reports the tribe created its own power authority in 2014. The solar field will provide two megawatts of renewable energy back to the community. The project is a partnership with Utility PNM. 
In Canada, officials have approved a statue of an Indigenous leader for the grounds of the Manitoba legislature. It'll be the first statue of a First Nations person at the site. The CBC reports a group of volunteers has been working for nearly four years to have a statue of Chief Peguis placed at the legislature. Peguis was a Soto chief and defender of First Nations rights. Bill Shedd, a member of the Peguis First Nation and co-chair of the committee organizing the statue, says Peguis was also a diplomat who helped bring people together and keep the peace. Shed told the CBC the monument will fill a void. I think that the the project to get the monument is going to be the most important step in reconciliation between the Indigenous and the non-Indigenous people of the province. Once funding and a location are finalized, organizers will put out a call for artists. For National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrick. Closing out today's newscast, we have Jim Hightower with a commentary. If you're a rich Republican who's been in the U.S. House so long and done so little that you're essentially seen as a piece of congressional furniture, what do you do when faced back home with a popular, well-organized, grassroots opponent who's about to overtake you? How about unleashing your inner racist? to assail your challenger as a demonic civil liberties zealot who will let hordes of black, Latino, and other criminal elements rampage through white neighborhoods. Endangered Republican incumbents across the country are resorting to this shameful Jim Crow political tactic in a panicky effort to deflect attention from their own do-nothing records. Take longtime Texas Congressman Michael McCall, who's used to strolling to victory. But oops, in September, with only weeks to go in his re-election race, he found himself in a dead heat with Democrat Mike Siegel, a former schoolteacher with a progressive populist program of Medicare for All, worker and environmental protections, human rights over corporate greed, etc. Siegel has forged a surging and enthusiastic movement for change. So here comes McCall with a last-minute, down-and-dirty, million-dollar TV blitz howling that Siegel is a crazed criminal justice radical who will shut down the police and empty the prisons. McCall himself doesn't appear in this ludicrous dog-whistle piece of racist fabrication. Instead, he's put up a white Republican constable wearing his official uniform on camera to do the dirty work. The partisan constable cartoonishly tries to gin up voter fear. Take it from me, he dramatically intones. Mike Siegel is a threat to your family. This is Jim Hightower saying, problem is, McCall's gun-toting goofball of a frontman is a notorious right-wing race-baiter. But he's just the dummy. McCall is the despicable ventriloquist, mouthing fear and hate in a pathetic attempt to save his worthless political hide. Hightower's commentaries are brought to you by the Hightower Lowdown, the monthly newsletter with Hightower's take on what Wall Street and Washington are up to. For information, visit HightowerLowdown.org. That's our newscast for this evening. Coming up next, we bring you Disability Wrap and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. For Emory Audio Productions, I'm Charlotte Peterson, wishing you a fabulous evening.